scripture reading this morning is from Job chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to stand. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that it was said, A baby is born. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it, its light. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. The reading of the Lord. For those of you who are parents or may have had children in your household at any time, uh, more than likely you have heard this phrase that our friend Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes is shouting, it's not fair, hear this pretty regularly in my house, Um, but it's easy to pick on other people, so I thought I'd actually share with you a moment from my life where I wanted to shout, it's not fair. I graduated from seminary in 2012, and after graduating, I'm like, good, I got the degree, I got the education, now I can start applying for pastor jobs, and this one will just fall into my lap. So I started sending out applications to churches, filling out things online. I heard absolutely nothing back. Dead silence, crickets. I left the church I grew up in to attend another Presbyterian church where we had friends who lived there or served there. I had a good ministry friend who was on staff. He said, there'll probably be a position open here at some point, so come, get in the community, involve yourselves, and probably can step into a position. I said, great. Met with the pastor, told him that I taught Sunday school. Here are some examples of the classes that I've taught. I've preached. I was a youth pastor. I'd love to serve in any way that you would have opportunity for me to serve. I heard nothing. For a couple years, I heard nothing. I remember very distinctly one Christmas service we were attending. I was sitting in the back, and they had people come up, much like Morgan just did, to read the Christmas story. And they read different passages from Scripture about the Christmas story. And I sat there in the back row thinking, I can read scripture. Nobody asked me to read. I went to seminary. I can do this. This isn't fair. Was it my brightest moment in my life? Sitting in a Christmas service on the verge of tears, screaming in my head, it's not fair. Little did I know the path that God would have me on after that I would apply to more churches, continue to hear nothing. 
We would eventually experience a miscarriage in our family. I would lose two jobs. I would be a stay-at-home dad during COVID. And I would lose both of my parents. Before Pastor Mike would call me on the phone and say, Hey, I think I have a position for you. I had to walk a strange path before I got here, and there were many times that I wanted to shout, it's not fair, and I wanted to give up. Today, our hero of the faith is Job, who, when you read through the first chapter, did everything right, yet his world collapses around him. It challenges us to wrestle with some of the great questions of the universe. Why do bad things happen to righteous people? Is God really good and just when there's bad and evil in the world? And why do we even do good things in the first place? Do we do it out of want for a reward or fear of punishment? Or do we do good things just because it's the right thing to do? Now, by the time we get to the end of this sermon today, we probably won't have sufficient answers to these questions because nobody's really found sufficient answers to these questions. But hopefully we can walk away with this basic foundational truth that says, in this broken world, you will grieve and endure hardship. Job is a hero because he wrestles with and learns to trust in God who bears with us in suffering and has overcome the world. In this broken world, you will grieve and endure hardship. Job is a hero because he wrestles with and learns to trust in God, who bears with us in suffering and has overcome the world. Now, I'm going to try to do Job, this character in this book, justice in less than 30 minutes, so buckle up. Chapter 1 of Job, verse 1 says, In the land of Uz there lived a man named Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Now, growing up in church, I was basically taught the story of Job. Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the conclusion of the book of Job. That Job was a nice guy. He did all the right things. Satan wanted to test him, so God allowed him. Some really bad things happened to Job. He lost all his wealth, lost all his money. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord, and he got everything back. Yay! I remember I was in the back of my parents' car at one time. I thought, I'm going to read the book of Job actually through to kind of see what's in there. And I read chapter 1, and I read chapter 2, and then I saw chapter 3, which Morgan read, and thought, well, that wasn't in Sunday school. They didn't read that part to me. And I was like, wait, there's a chapter 4 and a 5, and there's 42 chapters in this book? I can't finish this in this car ride. There's a lot more to Job than I think the Sunday school story we are often familiar with. So let's talk briefly about the story that I think we're familiar with, but just to kind of catch us up a little bit. Like I read, Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. You keep reading, he had the perfect family. He had seven sons and three daughters. Seven is a significant number in the Bible, seven days of creation. Three daughters. Three is a significant number in the Bible. The Trinity. Three visitors show up to Abraham. You add them up. Seven plus three, you get ten. Nice round number. 
His sons and daughters, his family hung out all the time. They liked each other. This was a great family. They partied. They had feasts. And at the end of the feast, Job, we're told Job would sacrifice for his sons and daughters just in case they had done something wrong. He wanted all his bases covered. For his wealth, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. Seven plus three again, 10. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, five plus five, 10. See what the author is trying to get across here? And a large number of servants. Of anybody on the earth, Job is righteous. Job is great. Job is awesome. He has all the cool things. You want to be at his house on New Year's Eve and the 4th of July. Even God says in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. But it's because all of these great things and blessing that Job's righteousness comes into question. This is what causes Satan to come before God. Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his household? And everything he has, you have blessed the work of his hands. So that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. And surely he will curse you to his face. Satan says, take it all away. You blessed him with so much. If you take that all away, he's going to curse you because that's the only reason Job is following you, God, because you've blessed him. So Job chapter 1, verse 13. Now think about this like almost like you're watching a movie. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. Uh Uh-oh. They're all together, hanging out. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Boom, boom, boom. Everything that Job has is gone in a matter of minutes. At this, verse 20, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, similar to what we sang earlier, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The story continues where Satan shows up with God again and says, yeah, 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 you've taken all the stuff away from him. That's great. And he's still blessing your name. But if you actually hurt him, if you hurt his body, then he will curse you to your face. God says, okay, have a shot. Verse 7 of chapter 2. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet 
to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat in the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is a familiar story of Job. I think we've probably heard from time to time. And at the end of each trial, Job praises God no matter how much people expect him to curse God. What's interesting, I think, though, is if you take Job's experience for being a righteous person, blameless, upright, fearing God, shunning evil, and go back and read the book of Proverbs, it's a strong contrast. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright, same words for Job, to describe Job, guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed for their duplicity. Job is destroyed for doing nothing wrong. Nothing bad. Job did nothing bad, yet all of these horrible things are happening to him because Satan wants to test him. What we read in Proverbs doesn't match up with Job's experience. A plus B does not equal C. What's being presented in question here in Job is not just how we endure grief or how we are patient in the face of extreme trials. What's being challenged in Job, once you move on to chapter 3, is do we actually believe that God is just? If we have said that A plus B equals C and that doesn't happen in our lives, is God good? Which is Satan's challenge in Job. Should, our, should we just drop our faith in God the second that we experience suffering? Or does our trust in God rely on God alone and not because of what we may get out of this world or the next? In this broken world, you will grieve and endure hardship. And like Job, when we do, we might actually have feelings about it. Once you get to chapter 3, Job doesn't sound like the patient Job we've been, talked, we've been told about. What Morgan read this morning. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. Job wishes he'd never been born. Having all of that hardship and suffering and grief happen to him, he wishes he had never been born to experience it. Now, for one of your favorite moments in my sermons and one of my family's favorite moments, here's a bit of a Bible nerd alert for you. The book of Job is one of the most difficult books in all of the Bible to translate. Why? It's poetry. From chapter 3 on to the end of chapter 42, it's this poetic wrestling with suffering and what is God up to and why do I trust in God when bad things happen? And when you're going through grief and suffering, you can, it can be hard to find the words to express what you're actually feeling. I think in the book of Job, these are difficult to translate because they're being, Job is being creative with these images that he's pulling up to try to express the deep emotion that is going on in his heart and his soul. 
when we've hit something that we've never experienced before, grief on a whole new level. It feels like we have to kind of retranslate our life in a way. What does life look like now? I've never experienced this before. I don't have words for this. I need to kind of make it up as I go along. I think we see that in Job. We see this wrestling with grief. It's often tempting for us to avoid those difficult emotions, sadness, grief, I know I do. I have a hard time wanting to face those sometimes. I have a hard time even knowing what I'm feeling sometimes and why I'm feeling it. But we need to feel sad. We need to feel anger. We need to be frustrated because that's our clue that something is wrong. That something is wrong in the world. Something is wrong in our life. And once we've identified that it's wrong, then we can address it. Like one of my favorite clips from the movie Inside Out. Why don't you watch this clip? My rocket! Wait, Randy and I were still using that rocket. <laughs> it still has some song power left. Who's your friend who likes to play? No! No, 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 you can't take my rocket to the top. Randy and I are going to the moon. Riley can't be done with me. Hey, it's gonna be okay. We can fix this. We just need to get back to headquarters. Which way to the train station? I had a whole trip planned for us. Hey, who's ticklish, huh? Here comes the tickle monster. Hey, bing bong, look at this. Oh, here's a fun game. You point to the train station and we all go there. Won't that be fun? Come on, let's go to the train station. I'm sorry they took your rocket. They took something that you loved. It's gone forever. Sadness, don't make him feel worse. Sorry, it's all I had left of Riley. I bet you and Riley had great adventures. Oh, they were wonderful. Once we flew back to Time. We had breakfast twice that day. Sadness! It sounds amazing. I bet Riley liked it. Oh, she did. We were best friends. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. <laughs> I'm okay now. train station is this way. How did you do that? Well, I don't know. I it was sad, so I listened to what... Hey! There's the train! If you've never seen that movie, go watch it. Sometimes we can act like joy, right? The yellow character, just distract, 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 move on. Don't experience it. This is awkward. I don't want to be in this emotion with you. Let's go over here. Sometimes we need to be like sadness, the blue character, and sit with the person that's grieving and say, man, that's hard. We need to sit with those emotions and identify them and say, yeah, that's, that's a tough thing to walk through. And we need to feel that. 
And that helps us find those words to experience and to get out our grief and suffering. Sometimes actions help too. Bing bong cried. You can have a conversation with a good friend. You can go for a long walk or maybe have a workout. And if you need to find words to express your grief and sadness, you can look in the book of Job. He's got a lot of good images. Sometimes poetry helps us to express that which normal words cannot. And these words are in our Bible, friends, for us. They're here for a reason. Job isn't quietly accepting his fate, and he's going, as he's going back and forth with God, he's wrestling, he's expressing what he's feeling, he wants to understand. And the one thing God always, always rewards in Scripture is the person who keeps the conversation going. If you keep talking to God, you're in a good space. No matter what you're saying to God, with you're yelling at him because you're mad, or if you're crying out to him because you need something, God wants the conversation to continue. The problem is when we turn our back on God and say, I'm done with you. But if we keep talking, God will keep listening and God may answer. In this broken world, you will, receive, you will endure and you will grieve and endure hardship. And Job is a hero because he wrestles with God. There's this thing out there called the bystander effect. And it's this, they study this to see that if something's happening and somebody's in trouble, the more people who are around, the less likely help will be offered because everybody assumes somebody else is going to do it. So the first thing they teach you in CPR class, if you're giving CPR to somebody, is you actually point at somebody specific and say, you call 911 because you've empowered them to do it. You're pointing at somebody saying, you need to be a good person here. You need to act. As Job's wrestling with this, three friends show up, and you might say there's a bit of a bystander effect because none of them offer him good advice. (laughs) They're bad friends. They don't really listen or hear Job. They don't understand his suffering or what he's going through. Instead, they keep telling him, like they probably read in the book of Proverbs, well, you must have done something wrong for God to treat you this way. There must be something in your life that's causing all of these bad things to happen. And there's some examples here in the handout in your bulletin. I'll just read through the Eliphaz one quickly. Eliphaz in Job chapter 4 says, Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Eliphaz is basically saying, You've plowed and sowed trouble somewhere in your life, Job, or this wouldn't have happened. This is how God works. These are bad friends. You don't want people, when you're experiencing grief and suffering, to come alongside you, sit down for a second, and be like, what did you do wrong? What sin do you have in your life that's causing all this bad stuff to happen? Those are bad friends. You need some good friends. Job looks at his friends after they've shown up in chapter 16. He says, I have heard many things like these, and you are miserable comforters, all of you. Job needs some better friends. 
We need friends who will be with us in our grief and not default to blame us for our suffering because reality is sometimes bad things just happen. And not only do we need to have good friends in our life who will sit with us and walk through the suffering, we need to be that good friend sometimes. We need to be a better friend. Later in in, in 16, after he's laid out his friends for what they've done wrong, Job says, my mouth would encourage you if you were going through suffering. It would comfort, would comfort my lips and bring you relief. Job says, I could be a better friend than this. We need to be the friend who doesn't avoid suffering and pain in others because of our own fear. We need to be the friend who steps in, who sits down, and who serves and encourages even amidst the depths of pain and suffering in those around us. We need to be present We need to encourage, we need to comfort, we need to offer relief. The phrase you might often hear around the halls from our staff is, how can I support you? We need to do that because that is the right thing to do. We need to do that because that's what God has done for us. God is the good friend. At the end of Job, God finally shows up, which leads Job to repent. Job says, my ears had heard of you and now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When God shows up, Job repents. God shows up for us in the life of Jesus. Jesus comes down to be with us in the midst of our pain and suffering. He experiences that pain and suffering so much, Paul in Philippians says, that he experiences death, even death on a cross, which was an unjust death. But when Jesus comes down and experiences life with us, we know we have a good friend who is sitting in the junk of this world with us. Jesus points out that pain and suffering, too, aren't always because of what we or others around us have done. There's a story in the Gospel of John where Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and it says he saw a man who was born blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Same argument from Job. Who did something wrong to cause this wrong to happen? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Nobody did anything wrong to cause this man's suffering. This man's suffering was that so God's mighty power would be on display. Yes, bad things happen. Yes, we will have to endure as Job And the blind man did for however many years he had to. Yet, those are opportunities for God's work, his grace, his mercy, his power, his forgiveness, his healing to be displayed in and through our lives. Maybe not immediately. Maybe not the moment that you pray for it to happen. And you will have to maybe go through significant grief, but God can redeem whatever hardships you are going through. Those become our testimonies of the reality of God working through us, of Jesus being active in our lives, redeeming and restoring what was once broken. If we jump to the end of Job, where Job just gets everything back, 
We skip over the grief. We skip over the hardship. And the reward at the end really doesn't mean anything. Because God giving him everything back was his response, his work in Job's life to restore and redeem what was once lost. One of the commentators I read as I was studying for this message says, The book of Job does not tell us why Job or any of us suffer, but it does tell us a bit about how we should think about God when we are suffering. Do we and should we trust in God even amidst the trials that we face? Yes. Do we believe that God is just? Yes. But the book gives us encouragement. And again, as Jesus told his disciples when he was about to depart in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus says. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We can know and expect suffering to happen. This does not minimize or trivialize our pain or suffering or grief. Jesus experienced this whole range of emotions, expressing his feelings on the way to the cross. God, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We shouldn't expect anything different in our lives. But we can know who is in charge. We can know who we can wrestle with. We can know who can take it and who we can appeal to. In this broken world, you will grieve and endure hardship. Job is our hero because he wrestles with and learns to trust in God who bears with us in suffering and has overcome the world. In this broken world, you will grieve and endure hardship. Job is a hero because he wrestles with and learns to trust in God, who bears with us in suffering and has overcome the world. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, the land that is plentiful, the streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name.